Good morning, Bethel. Okay. Our text this morning is found in Matthew chapter 2. It's uh, verses 1 through 12. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it, was, when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembled the, all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He acquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it, was, it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what, the, what time the, tar, the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when they found him, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that had, they had seen when it rose went before them until it came over, the rest, over to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray for a second uh, and ask God to bless this. Father, open the eyes of our hearts that we may see wonders in your word. Father, send your Holy Spirit to do his work as your word is preached. And then change us to become more like you. Happy, generous, and loving. Amen. There are three types of people pictured in this passage, each with a different response to God. There are the wicked who oppose God. There are the pretenders whose true nature and spirituality is revealed when they ignore God. And then there are the true believers who rejoice in God. Their joyful sacrifice, they joyfully sacrifice their time and their wealth to worship God. Let's look at the first, represented by Herod, who opposed God. These folks are, Herod opposed God. He was uh, wicked and deeply, deeply threatened by him, and he would not worship God. You see in verse 3 of our passage that uh, he was troubled, and the whole city of Jerusalem was troubled with him. Why would Herod be troubled by magi traveling from the east, uh, arriving in the city and then asking, for the one who was born king of the Jews. There's a, there's a long history here, and let me just recount some of it for you. God had promised uh, Judah, one of the twelve uh, um, from, the, from the line of Israel, Judah, that his descendants would uh, lead Israel, the house of Jacob. Back in Genesis 49, Jacob blessed Judah by saying, <clears throat> uh, to each one of his sons, he said to Judah, your brothers shall praise you, your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, 
Your father's son shall bow down to you. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. And then later, God had promised to um, the young shepherd boy, David, who became king, who ascended from the tribe of Judah. He promised him that a kingdom that would never end. He said to David through the prophet Samuel, God makes this promise to you, uh, your house and your kingdom shall, shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall ever be established. But there was a problem here. Herod was not from the lineage of David. He wasn't even a descendant from the tribe of Judah. He was an Edomite. Um, what's, what's the big deal about being an Edomite? Well, the Edomites were Israel's constant enemies. It all started when Jacob schemed to acquire the family birthright and then fraudulently attained it, his father's blessing, intended for the firstborn Esau. Uh, the Edomites refused to allow the nation of Israel to pass through their land during the Exodus. Uh, and then 400 years later, after the Exodus, the Edomites were attacked and defeated by the Jews and King Saul. Forty years after that, King David defeated the army in what's called the Valley of Salt. David destroyed nearly all of the male population, except for one, uh, a member of the royal family named Hadad. He escaped and fled to Egypt. To prevent further uprisings of the Edomites, David established military garrisons in all of the Edomite strongholds. And then after David died, Hadad returned and tried to get what was left of his countrymen to rebel against Israel. But Upon failing, Hadad went to Syria, and he aligned himself with the Syrians, and then he became Solomon's, David's son. He became Solomon's greatest enemy. Uh, the Edomites grew stronger and later joined with Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to besiege Jerusalem. The brutality and the cruelty, cruelty of the Edomites was recorded in Psalm 137. It sounds like this. Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it to its very foundation. O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one. How blessed will be the one who repays you for the recompense which you have repaid us. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. In reward for the assistance of the Edomites, the Edomites were allowed to resettle in the land of Palestine, and that brings us back to Herod, the Edomite. History tells us that Herod was placed in authority over the nation of Israel by Mark Anthony and later crowned king by Caesar Augustus. So you can see why Herod is concerned that the one born king of the Jews would displace him from his throne. It was Jesus, the baby born in Bethlehem, who, filled all, who fulfilled all of these earlier promises to both Judah and David. Listen to what the angel Gabriel says to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 33. The angel says this to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. So Herod 
troubled by all of this, gathers the chief priests and the scribes and inquires, where is the Messiah to be born? Verse 4 of our text makes it clear what the, what the Magi really mean by the term king of the Jews. Herod was called king of the Jews by the Senate in Rome, but Herod was not called Messiah. Um, Messiah means the long-awaited God-anointed ruler who would conquer all other rule. The Messiah would usher in the end of history and forever establish the kingdom of God. We don't know how the Magi understood there was such a king coming, but it's clear that Herod, what, Claire, what Herod understands. These men are not searching for some ordinary human successor to him. They are searching for the final king to end all kings. And unlike Anna and Simeon in Luke chapter 2, <clears throat> this is the last thing that Herod is looking for. Herod may have had some knowledge of the Scripture to understand that the Messiah was promised and that the location of his birth was foretold, foretold in Scripture, but he didn't know the Scripture about where the Messiah was to be born, so he gathered the chief priests and the scribes and the religious elites of the day and asked them. Um, the group that he asked, the chief priests and the scribes, were the national religious hierarchy, uh, mostly made up of two groups of people, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Sadducees were a liberal sect of Jewish scholars who denied the authority of the Scriptures, and uh, the Pharisees were a legalistic sect of Jews who were known for their rigid adherence to the ceremonial traditions of men. The chief priests and scribes quote only some of Micah 5.2, not all of what Andy read for us. <clears throat> they tell Herod where? In Bethlehem. Uh, they tell him in Bethlehem of Judea for it's written uh, and recorded by the prophet. So then Herod secretly meets with the Magi to determine the child's age and exact location. Herod was ruthless and cunning. He lied to the Magi while he was plotting to kill the child. Herod, <clears throat> verse 8 says, And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. But Herod had no intentions of worshiping. His true intentions were deception and murder. It says in, Luke, in Matthew 2, verses 12 to 13, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they, the Magi, <clears throat> departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And then verse 16 of Matthew 2 says, <clears throat> Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by these wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all of the male children in Bethlehem and all the region who were two years and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Herod was wicked because his father was wicked. Jesus said this about the Pharisees, but the same thing could have been said about Herod. John chapter 8, verse 44 says this, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand for the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We see an illustration of this same type of anger and murder and deception in the life of Cain. Um, 
Turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to uh, Genesis chapter 3, uh, verses uh, 3 to 10. It's on page 3 of the Pew Bible. Uh, <clears throat> it says, So it came about in the course of time, Cain brought forth an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought uh, of the first, firstlings of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will, you not, will not your countenance be filled, lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told his brother Abel, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Then if you'll skip to verse 16, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Did you see what was said? Rather than being concerned about correcting the situation to please God, Cain became angry. Cain was so angry that he would not be talked out of his sin, even by God. Uh, when confronted with his sin, Cain lied, even to God. <clears throat> the Apostle John later commented on this event, identifying Cain as obeying as belonging to the evil one. In 1 John 3, 11 to 12, John records this, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was, the, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. How do we know who the, the wicked people are? The wicked people oppose God. Wicked people may disguise their, their wickedness under the cloak of religion. Uh, they may attempt to de deceive the righteous into believing they're righteous too. But the wicked will stop at nothing, including lies, deception, and even murder to oppose God and carry out their wicked plans. They are deeply threatened by God, and they will not worship God. That brings us to the pretenders who are represented by the priests and the scribes whose true nature and spirituality was revealed when they ignored God and in doing so failed to worship God. The chief priests and scribes knew the scripture had prophesied that Bethlehem was the birthplace of the Messiah. They said to him, it's in Bethlehem of Judea. But there's really nothing special about their answer. Even the people in Jesus' day clearly expected Bethlehem to be the birthplace of the Messiah. John 7, 40-43 says this, Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, This is certainly the prophet. And others were saying, This is the Christ. Still others were saying, Surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the, from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? The chief priests and scribes knew the scriptures well enough to quote the prophet Micah. They, actu they accurately answered Herod's question of where the Messiah was to be born. 
but they stopped short of declaring who the Messiah was. They left out Micah 5 2b, which Andy read for us, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And they left out Micah 5 4, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of his name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. They, they left the whole, that whole passage out. They failed to mention that this king of the Jews, the Messiah, born in Bethlehem, existed long before he came into being in Mary's womb. They failed to mention that this king existed from eternity past. They failed to mention that this king is God in human flesh. They completely ignored God, and they failed to worship Though they were familiar with God's word and its promises, and only five miles uh, from the Messiah, they didn't go themselves to worship. <clears throat> the utter silence and inactivity on the part of the spiritual leaders is overwhelming in view of the enormity of what's going on here. Notice what verse 3 says. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. The prophets have been silent for 400 years. Magi from the east are now traveling to Jerusalem to find the Messiah, claiming they saw his star. And all Jerusalem is now abuzz with the rumor that the Messiah was born in Bethlehem. But their response is, okay, well, we answered his question. That's that. Back to business as normal. What? <clears throat> that the chief priests and the scribes would do nothing is staggering. Why not go with the Magi? Why not go and investigate what God might be doing? They're not interested. They don't want to worship God. They're only pretending to be spiritual. How do we know who the pretenders are? They may know the scriptures. They may even well know them well enough to quote from memory. But they ignore God. <clears throat> that brings us to the true believers represented by the Magi, who rejoiced in God and worship. They joyfully sacrificed their time and their wealth to reverently, lavishly, and obediently worship God. The Magi were from the east and were most likely Gentiles. Their journey to Jerusalem was after Jesus was born and while Herod was still king. Whether they were kings or magicians or astrologers or whether there was two or three, or twelve, it really doesn't matter, does it? What matters is that the Magi were wise men, and they show us how. They show us the way of genuine worship. They arrived searching for the one who was born King of the Jews, <clears throat> because they saw and followed his star. Let's pause for a moment to reflect on this miraculous and celestial event. Over and over, the Bible baffles us with how certain things happen. And here's another one of them. How did the star get the Magi from the east to Jerusalem? The text doesn't say. It doesn't say that it led them or that it went before them. It says they saw a star in the east and they came to Jerusalem. How did the star go before them in the five-mile walk from Jerusalem to Bethlehem? Um, and how did the star stand over the place where the child was? We, we don't know. But what we do know concerning the star is this. It's doing something that it can't do on its own. 
It's guiding magi to the Son of God so they can worship him. There's only one person that can, behind it, that can be behind this choreography in the heavens, and that's God himself. God is guiding Gentiles to Christ to worship him, and he's doing it by exerting supernatural influence and power to get it done. How did the Magi understand the meaning of the star? How did they know that this star that appeared in the east meant the Magi was born? Once again, we don't know. They may have known of Balaam's prophecy found in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, that says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel. Here's what we do know. We know they came looking for a child, less than two years old, but not a baby. We know they rejoiced at the sight of the star. When they saw the star, Matthew says, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Don't let familiarity with this story cause you to blow right by this verse. Look at what it says. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. What, what does that kind of joy look like? What, kind of, what does that joy, kind of joy sound like? What is that kind of joy all about? Well, this was spirit-generated joy. It's the same joy that caused John to leap in Elizabeth's womb at the sound of Mary's voice because Jesus was near. It's the same spirit-generated joy that caused David to leap and dance before the Lord with all his might when the Ark of the Lord, the, Lord's, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord's presence, was being brought into Jerusalem. The Magi were on their way to visit the Messiah. They were about to draw near to the presence of God. They were almost there, and God is again exerting supernatural influence and power to help lead them there, and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. God is their joy. When was the last time you experienced this kind of spirit-generated joy? When was the last time you sensed that God was orchestrating events to draw you near to himself? This is what God wants for you. He wants you to see that he's at work orchestrating events to draw you close to himself. The star was visible to everyone, but it's the magi that understand the movement, the star's movements, is God at work and not some meaningless coincidence. This is the source of the spirit-generated joy, and this is the source of our spirit-generated joy, even when responding rightly to God requires great sacrifice. Let me just go off script for a minute and tell you a story about something that happened uh, to me recently. I got, a, I got a call from my aunt about a week ago saying that my cousin, uh, about my age, uh, had some stomach pain, and he was scheduling an appointment to get, his, uh, get himself looked at. Earlier this week, he went to the hospital to get looked at, and while he was under anesthesia and the, they were performing tests on him, um, his body did not respond well to the tests, and the, the hospital determined that they needed to keep him uh, and admit him. There were no rooms in the normal hospital for him. There were, no, there were no regular rooms. So they put him in the cardiac care area. Later that night, he suffered a heart attack. And the doctors were able to, to save him. They were already there prepared to, to operate, even though they didn't know they needed to. Um, <clears throat> uh, my aunt called me later um, after that all happened. And uh, 
She was very upset, and she broke down, and she cried and asked me to pray for him. Um, my cousin, younger brother, the younger cousin, also called me and asked if I would, you know, get, get involved here. Then my older cousin called last night, and it's amazing what he said to me. He said, Bill, there's a God, and he's good. He was good to me. He gave me the gift of life. Uh, who knows what could have happened to me if I had been doing my normal job, which is driving a truckload of liquid propane up and down the highway. If I had had the heart attack in the cab of my truck, who knows what would have happened to me or what would have happened to anyone else that I, that I would have plowed into. There is a God, he's good, and he was good to me. He gave me the gift of life. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's amazing how he could sense, okay, not the stars movement, but he could see that God was working in his life that he could see that this isn't just a bunch of coincidences, that I went in for, to check my stomach, which was a minor problem, and found out that I had a pre-existing heart condition that God <clears throat> miraculously used to save my life. He, he called me last night from intensive care, rejoicing at the gift that he was given, rejoicing in the gift of God, rejoicing and happy in ICU, to, let, to lay in a bed in ICU because... He knows there's a God who's good, who's orchestrating events and not, not just coincidental things happening in his life. This aunt that called me in tears and asked me to pray is the same aunt that two years earlier, when we had been given gifts of uh, booklets to go and give people, you know, would you, would you talk to someone about the Lord? Would you give them this book? I gave her the book two years ago. She kind of smirked and sneered and said, are you going to preach at me? Two years later, she's calling me asking, will you pray for my son? What an opportunity we're going to have to talk later, maybe this week, about how God moves stars and God moves other things, aligns other things. Um, the star was both visible to Herod and the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders didn't respond rightly. They missed out on the joy that God had in store for him. Fortunately, my cousin is not going to miss out on that joy. Look around you. See what God is doing and rejoice at how God is orchestrating events to lead you to himself, even if the events require suffering and great sacrifice. The purpose of the Magi's journey was to come near God and to worship. And Matthew 2.11 tells us this. After coming into the house, they saw the child where Mary, his mother, uh, with Mary his mother. They fell to the ground and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Their worship was planned, and it took preparation. You wouldn't travel hundreds of miles over the course of several months without spending some time putting together a plan and making preparations. Their worship was sacrificial. Their journey must have taken several months uh, and potentially more than a year. The round-trip undertaking for the sole purpose of worship took a significant sacrifice of their time. There's a correlation between our spiritual lives and how we think about and how we spend our life. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable God, to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. They also worshiped with reverence. They fell to the ground as a sign of their worship. 
True worship is performed in a spirit of humility and often performed in a physical position of reverence. Psalm 95, 6 and 7 says this, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are His people. We are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. They opened their treasure and they worshiped with gifts. They must have been wealthy because the gifts they presented are those worthy of a king. Gold, currency, frankincense, an incense offering, um, and myrrh, an embalming agent. The gifts of the Magi are not given in response to a need or to provide assistance. The gifts are not given as a quid pro quo or a this for that or even a bribe. The gifts are given as worship intensifiers. The gifts are the Magi's way of saying, you are my treasure, not these things. I've come to worship you for you uh, and not what you can give me or do for me. There's also a correlation between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle the money that God has given us to be stewards over. Paul says to his um, young protege Timothy in Timothy 6, 9, and 10, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some belonging to it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Though these men were wealthy, they gave joyfully and liberally of their wealth to worship. The Magi were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, and they obeyed God and returned home another way. Genuine worshipers know that obedience is more pleasing to God than any sacrifice performed in worship. Samuel uh, told this to uh, King Saul. Has the Lord as much delighted in birth, burnt offerings as sacrifices? I'm sorry. Has the Lord as much delighted in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to, he- and to heed than the fat of rams. So yes, God delights in sacrifices, but he, also, but, uh, he delights even more in your obedience. Let's go back to Genesis 3 for just a minute. I'm sorry, Genesis 4 for just a minute, to see an illustration of true worship in the life of Abel. Genesis, 3, uh, Genesis 4, 3 through 5 say this. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Cain aligned himself with the curse, bringing an offering from the fruit of the ground. He worked the soil. Abel aligned himself with man's original purpose, having dominion over life. He kept flocks. These simple descriptions coincide with and are enhanced by the descriptions of their worship. Abel went out of his way to please God. He gave back from the first fruits of his flocks. Abel demonstrated faith. And this is critical, for without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel brought, forth, brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke, of, spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Cain, on the other hand, was simply discharging his duty. 
Abel's actions were righteous. Cain's actions were evil. True believers rejoice in God and worship. They joyfully sacrifice their time and their wealth. They liberally give of their treasures to intensify their worship. To to them, worship is a delight, not a duty. So in conclusion, we see there are three types of people pictured in our passage, each of them with a different response to God. Who do you identify with most? They're the wicked that oppose God. Herod was ruthless and cunning, and he opposed God. He tried to disguise his wickedness under the cloak of religion. He attempted to deceive the righteous into believing that he was righteous too. In the end, Herod lied. He deceived even the, he, he lied, he deceived, and even mass murdered innocent babies to oppose God. Are you opposing God? This will not end well for you. Humbly submit to God, and you will find mercy and grace. There are the pretenders whose true nature and spirituality is revealed when they ignored God. The chief priests and scribes ignored the good news and missed the joy of centuries-old promises being fulfilled. Ignoring God is no better than opposing God. This same group of religious leaders, religious pretenders, is the same group of religious leadership that conspired some 30 years later to kill the king of the Jews, Jesus, God's Messiah. Isn't it heartbreaking how that sometimes happens? That those close to and knowledgeable of God's promises fail to experience the joy that God intends for them? Is this you? Why not check things out? Why not investigate the facts regarding the life and claims of Jesus? You too will find mercy and grace. And then there are the believers who joyfully sacrifice their time and their wealth to worship God. This is the will of God for you. That the king of the Jews would become your king. That this God, this is the will of God for you, that you would, be, you would become a believer and worship God. That you would joyfully sacrifice your time and your wealth to worship God. To worship Jesus, his son, the Messiah, God in human flesh. Jesus existed before his birth in Bethlehem. He was spirit He was the eternal word. He was with God and he was God. But he took on flesh and blood and he clothed his deity with humanity. He became fully man and remained fully God. This is a great mystery, but it's it's a mystery at the heart of our faith and and is central to what the Bible teaches. This is the reason Jesus came to Bethlehem as a baby. He was born to become a man so he could die. As God, he could not die for sinners, and his aim was to die for sinners. Therefore, Jesus had to be born human. He was born to die. Good Friday is the reason for Christmas. After living a perfect, sinless life and perfectly obeying all of the law, he offered his life as a sinless sacrifice to die on the cross. Nailed above his head, crowned with a wreath of thorns, was a sign, King of the Jews. Do you remember the messianic prophecy in Micah chapter 5? But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth one who is to be the ruler of Israel, 
whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. This good shepherd prophesied in Micah became the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Ironically, in dying, Jesus conquered death by covering our sin in his shed blood. Paul says this, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Like Abel, we obtain the testimony that we are righteous by faith. Faith in the finished work of Jesus' shed blood and death on the cross. God validated the merit of Jesus' sacrificial death by raising him from the dead. Jesus appeared to many, and after 40 days ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of God, the place of honor, interceding on our behalf. He is the king we've always wanted. He is the one who fulfills every Old Testament promise and hope. But he's not done. The best is yet to come. Jesus will soon return in the clouds of glory to complete his good work of redemption and restoration and to stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the Lord his God. And we who believe shall dwell secure, for he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be our peace. So what about you? Are you opposing God? Are you pretending to be spiritual when in fact you're ignoring God and missing the joy that he intends for you? Or like the Magi, are you a believer whose joy is in God and whose delight is to worship? Join me in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, you are the king we've always wanted, the one who fulfills every promise and hope. King David's throne has become your throne of grace, from which you are extending your kingdom and increasing your peace. You already rule the kings of the earth and everything else. Nothing can derail, deter, or distract you from from bringing to completion your good work of redemption and restoration. Please grant that the gospel will continue to do its work in our hearts, that we might bow quicker and lower and with more joy than ever before you, our majestic King and merciful Lord. God, open the eyes of our heart a bit wider to behold the great hope to which you've called us in the gospel and then inflame our hearts with great joy and zeal for you. Deepen our adoration of you, Jesus, and loosen our grip on our so-called treasures. Free us for a life of love and generosity. Give us more joy than we've ever had in loving and serving others, not because you have needs, but because you are loving and generous and you want us to be like you. And God, for those of us who are traveling to attend the Abrana Missions Conference this week, we pray for the Whartons and the Caskies and the Chapmans and for Lindy Lou. God, please grant that they would connect more deeply with you this week and grant that your glory would be their passion. Please grant that they would joyfully offer their lives in grateful sacrifice to the gospel mission with no conditions and no restrictions. God, grant that they would plead with you to use them for this purpose of saving others. Do this for the good of this body, for the good of the lost around us, and for the glory of your great name in which we pray. Amen.